Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So the passage this morning is found in the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles with you, or somebody said last week, if you look on the on your electronic device or whatever, that's all good. Acts chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 12. Now, it's quite a long reading, but uh, bear with me, because I think the reading of the story will probably, basically, at the end of time, I can say amen, and we can go and have morning tea, all right? But uh, we're going to unpack it a little. But it's a great, a great story, so I invite you into the place with me. I won't always read the scripture when I'm preaching. Sometimes I love to get other people involved, yeah? But today I I will share in this way with you. I'm going to read from the New International Version and uh, follow along in yours. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given 
to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean approached in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Tell me a story. Read me a story. Yeah? Parents still do it. I'm glad that you still do. Our kids loved for us to read stories to them. And some of our, one of our babysitters, who is now our son, one of our son-in-laws, told me that he was left in charge of our kids one night and one of our kids railed on him not only to read one story but several stories. Don't we love story? Do you love story? It's interesting, isn't it? Our world, we love to read and hear these days most likely watch story. Story unfolds life for us, yes? It, uh, the narrative builds uh, hope in us or it can help us deal with pain or we enter into somebody else, else's story and it encourages us whether we think it's secular or sacred and we get all tied up in that silly divide. Acts is a, a, a biblical story. It's biblical history. It's narrative. It's so important for us. As you begin to engage your heart and your life in reading Acts and in hearing the story recounted to you again and again, it's not kind of a it's not a fairy tale. It's it's what happened. And I'm sure the person who opened the, the series on Acts would have told you that it was written for us for a certain Theopolis who wanted to know about this burgeoning Christian faith that was taking the world by storm, yeah? Want to know what was going on. And so Luke, the historian or the doctor physician historian, wrote to tell him about what was happening right before their eyes. So Acts is this biblical history. It's, it's Jesus who died and he rose again and how the Holy Spirit came and the church began. And wow, what an unfolding of events. Yes? Yeah? 
I mean, do I get any... You can talk back to me. I'm like Dave, so forget Dave, but I'm John, right? Is that good? Yes? Put up your hand if you agree. Right. Now, you're allowed to talk back. I don't mind if you chat. If you get too rowdy, the elders will come and just... No, no, it's all right. I love it when we talk and interact together. So it's a, it's a powerful wow story and... And when you, you know, you can't sort of have your daily devotions and read the book of Acts and say, well, I've done that bit for today, right? <laughs> I mean, when you're reading through the genealogies or whatever in Leviticus and Numbers, you just say, how did this get in the word of God? But anyway, here's this powerful story. The church is born and suddenly thousands of people are actually wanting God. Yeah? My take on it is that's in the heart of Lobethal Hills Baptist Church. We want to see people wanting God. Wanting a relationship with him through the risen saviour Jesus Christ. Seeing people being forgiven, baptised, filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, released, freed, released from demonic. This is a staggering church and it's wonderful. It's full of amazement and excitement. It rocks you back on your feet and it rocks you in your thinking and in your living. So this week I've had the privilege of digging into this, even though I've preached on it a few times over the years. And once again, the excitement wells up in you through the Spirit of God as you realise this is what God was doing. But what I want for Hills is for us to get into the story. Not to just leave it out there in narrative land or a nice bedtime story, but to say, hey, we're part of this. And if I can in some way encourage you to enter into that journey, I'll have done my job. My, my hope today is that we catch more than a glimpse of the early church and its life. But somehow we enter in and we realise that we are part of this story as well. Now, I thought long and carefully about this and I had a trick question, but I decided against it. The trick question was, have you read Acts 29? Well, if you haven't read Acts 29, you'll never read it because it's not in the Bible. But here's the thing. Hills, you are writing Acts 29. The book of Acts hasn't finished yet. The Spirit of God is still at work through and among his people. He's still working to draw people to Jesus, yes, don't sound convinced. Are you convinced? Are you going to get your pens out and write the story, the continuing story of the book of Acts? Are we ready for it? Are we, we ready to write up what the Holy Spirit will do through his people here in Loberfall? And part of that is the, the, the proclamation of the greatest, the best, and the absolutely unqualified news and unequaled news that Jesus Christ lived and he died, he rose again from the dead and he is alive with us right now. Over my time in ministry, I was very fond of reminding people that this is Resurrection Sunday. We don't have to wait for Easter. Jesus is here already. And if you listen to him, he'll be walking up and down these rows and he'll get your attention. He'll begin talking to you. And you'll hear him. You'll hear him even the over and above the, 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 the words that are coming out of the preacher's mouth, Yeah. He'll stop and talk to you. He's alive. Come on. Yes, Sunday, Easter Sunday's coming up, Simon. Go, 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 man. Preach the resurrection. 
So, we're going to dive in. In this incredible part of the Word of God, we realise that and we hear that there's, a, there's, a, there's an abundant amount of genuine awe and fear on that early church community. Last week, Dave opened up for us that event of Ananias and Sapphira and, and the un, un, unfettered in a way, but it didn't last long, that undaunted attack by the enemy on the unity of the church. Apart from their own personal sin, to break up what was good, yeah? But in the midst of that, the apostles get on with the work. And so we read there in verse 12 that the apostles, and to be an apostle means simply to be a sent one, that's what the word means, the sent ones, the apostles, are performing many signs and wonders among the people. How about that? The first thing I want to talk about is the signs and the wonders. It's so easy to read that text. I'm a C21, a century 21 person. You know, God and signs and wonders? Who talks about that? Do we even begin to raise that in church life? Church is easy, especially here in comfort and easygoing Western culture. But here they are in Judaistic culture and God's doing something amongst them they hadn't seen for a while, signs and wonders. In our 21st century thinking, and even if you're a student of history and, and a student of a revival, you might relegate signs and wonders to times of a revival, but not here. Not so back there. This is everyday occurrence. God was at work through the apostles doing signs and wonders. So what are they? Well, a sign, a wonder, miracles are sent by God through the Holy Spirit, through his people to authenticate the ministry of the word of God. And I want to push pretty strongly this morning that we should expect the same when we're on board with the word of God. We should expect God to be doing things, yeah? You getting that? We should expect people to be healed, to be released, for miracles to happen, for changed lives to happen, for people to begin to live in hope because death does not have the last word. See, the apostles preached the resurrection, yeah? That's our thing, people. We are the Easter people. The world can splash all over Christmas and Easter with its whatever it wants to do, but we are the Easter people. Any amens? Amen, amen brother. In one of my churches, this is not in the notes at all, my friend, but I had this big Scotchman in the church. He was a big man with a big barrel chest. And when I used to get excited, he'd stand up in the back of the church and say, Preach it, Johnny, preach it! <laughs> and I used to think of that, you know, Braveheart, he'd come to me and say, oh, Rick, and he'd say, If you don't, I'll crush you like a wee worm. <laughs> preach it, Johnny. You can stand up and say, Preach it, Charlie. Preach it, brother. We're going to preach the resurrection. Because death does not have the last word. And maybe this morning you need to hear that. 
resurrection does. And that's the message that we want to proclaim from the rooftops at Lobethal and roundabout. That's the word we want our friends and our neighbours and associates and acquaintances to hear, yes? God is love and there are people who know him who are resurrection people. Now, this resurrection people were very much together. Now, that in itself is a wonder. Because I have to say, I've been to some church communities that, should we say, weren't altogether together. Here in this early church setting, they're together. They're unified. God's word tells us that they were gathered in Solomon's colonnade, which was part of the temple. They were together. They were of one mind and one purpose. And they were actually, what you did see was that people were kind of reticent to join them on one hand, and yet on the other hand, people were flocking in by the thousands. And the word actually says there was mega, there was multitudes of people. That's quite interesting, isn't it? That they, they, they stood for so much that people just didn't sort of come along and, uh, and join up without actually becoming Christ follower. You follow that? And it was happening by thousands and thousands of people. They held in high regard. Well, I trust that Hills Lobethal will be held in high regard. But I long to see multitudes... And, you know, this church is a place where you need to get used to the unusual, which is quite usual. You read the word of God and Peter's walking along and his shadow passes by and people are wanting to be enveloped by his shadow in the hope they'll be healed. That kind of feels a bit spooky, yeah? Who thinks that's spooky? Who thinks it's normal? When was the last time you went past somebody's shadow to get healed? We've, what? But it was part of what was going on. There were healings. There were deliverances. There were crowds. This is an era where, where there's no help for ordinary people. There's no health service. There's no feeding stations. There's no pensions. There's no care for the sick. There's no care for the elderly as such. There's no care for people with disabilities. In fact, if you had a disability, there was, there was some sort of sin connection going on in people's heads. You are crook because you're sinful there's no honouring or care of the poor. It's a tough, tough world. It amazes me that in our Western culture in 21st century Australia, we say how tough it is. Yeah, it is tough. But we don't know what tough is compared with this. But here is a group of people where God is and people are being healed, they're being changed, they're being fed, they're being cared for. All this is happening because people are adamant that Jesus rose from the dead. There's no wonder people flocked in. And I, I just want to point out one thing that really, really kind of gets me. I trust it gets you as well. The word of God says all of them were healed. All of them. That little word, all. Not just a few. Not just one or two. All of them. So for us, it might be quite a confronting text Full-on mission, full-on mission, full-on evangelism. I invite you just to catch your breath for a moment or two. That's the church that we're dealing with here. Yeah? And enter stage left, a bunch of very jealous, concerned people. 
I guess we've become very acclimatised to the world in which we live and the world which is constantly criticising anything and everything, yeah? Good old social media. It's a bit difficult to stomach it sometimes, isn't it? Particularly when there's criticism of good and even worse to cope with the calling of good, bad and the bad good, but there's nothing new. That's in the word of God. That's the world we live in. Back there, there's some very irritated and jealous and extremely angry men. They're leaders, they're politicians, they're top controllers. Sound familiar? Yeah. Well, there might be a clue. The Sadducees, who were the leaders of this whole thing, were very angry. They were not at all impressed. The, the apostles were preaching Jesus and preaching the resurrection. Preaching the cross, they brought into focus their part along with the Pharisees in the crucifixion of Jesus. This is not a happy people, yeah? There's an old joke, it's a terrible joke, but you know why the Sadducees were sad? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Did you get that one up the back? <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? But hey, there's a point to that, isn't there? If there's no resurrection, there's no hope. How debilitating to go to a funeral where there's no hope preached. These Sadducees, along with the Pharisees, have tried valiantly to stamp out this Jesus thing and to get rid of this Jesus movement and to put an end to it and to stop this nonsense about following Jesus. But instead, the whole movement was taken off. They, they killed him, yeah? They put him on a tree. But instead of that stamping it out, now thousands of people are saying, he is actually alive. I've met him. He's changed my life. I'm healed. I've got some food in my stomach. It's because of him. None of this was happening through their institutionalised religion. A religion which had reduced the knowledge of God down to obeying thousands of laws which had kept, kept people in bondage for so, so long. And such inroads into institutional religion was not tolerated by, in any form by the Sadducees and Pharisees. And so, can I just say this? Beware of jealousy in your life. Jealousy is not a good thing. Don't try to get back at people. The word of God says, don't take vengeance, leave room for vengeance. Is mine, says the Lord, thus I'll repay. You know what the word of God says? You heap coals of, of love on people's heads. Jealousy's a real problem. The only person in the universe allowed to be jealous is God for his holiness. What a curse it is. So these men, these leaders, they arrest the apostles and put them into public jail. And you know, the rest of the story, if you wanted to write it up, if you wanted to finish the story, feel free. But it's just simply amazing. For the first time in the book of Acts, we meet angels. We're going to see angels through the book of Acts. We see these incredible happenings. And I think there's just a touch of humour. Uh, if you unwind the account a little, all the security is in place. The apostles are in jail. The doors are locked securely. The guards are doing their job. When they go next morning to get the, the apostles out, they're not there. 
The guards don't know what's happened. Nobody knows what's going on. But they find them out in the, in the temple proclaiming the word of God. So you've got a door-opening angel. You've got a sending angel who sends them out to preach. I just love it. Do you love it? Kind of gets you excited, yeah? All right. You're allowed to get excited in church. Is that all right? Just say to somebody, you can get excited in church. Is that all right? Of course you can. Because it's such a great story. And my hope is you'll be writing your story. So into this scene come courageous apostles who are pulled up before the ruling Sanhedrin. So just imagine, church, that next Sunday you've all got to go down to North Terrace, stand on the front of the Parliament House down there in North Terrace, and the politicians are going to grill you because you proclaim Jesus is Christ. How do you feel about that? And you've said Jesus is alive. And you've said there is no other way to know God as Father except through the cross. Huh? Does that bring it home? Here are the apostles standing before these politicians which is what they really were, being grilled about their faith. And I love Peter. Peter's a favourite character, yeah? I just love him. He says, you know what? I know you've told us, if you like, that we can't go preaching the cross and the resurrection, but we must obey God, finish it for me, rather than... That's uh, four or five of you. We must obey God rather than... Men. Peter used the opportunity to defend the gospel and to preach it. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. You crucified him by hanging him on a tree. God has exalted him. He is prince and saviour. He will grant forgiveness of sins. We are his witnesses. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Good sermon, eh? Good sermon. And you can imagine the response, well, you don't have to. They got so, so cranky, so furious that they wanted to do what they did to Jesus and to kill these men and stamp out the Christian faith. Enter Gamaliel, vacillating gam. I was going to say gutless gam. What he has to say sounds very balanced and wise and helpful. He manages to fuse the situation, which is pretty tense, and he draws on his experience and the respect which his contemporaries had for him. He's a respected Pharisee, he's a teacher of the law, he does believe in the resurrection, but his counsel is to say, you leave these men alone. Why? If it's of human origin, it'll all fizzle out, and he gives some examples of that. If it's of God, then you'll find out that you're up against God. Doesn't that sound like great advice? It is good advice. If you and I begin to fight God, we're never going to win, yeah? It's like the giving thing. People, people often get challenged about giving, but you're never going to outgive God. You haven't got a hope of outgiving God, yeah? You can, you can find out how good he is when you give, but you're never going to outgive him. And if you've got an argument with God, you're never going to win. But he is so gracious that he allows you and he stretches it out like a huge elastic band to let you on your journey so you learn those lessons, yeah? Gamaliel is wise enough to realise that nobody would win the war 
And his, his council wins the day, and it won the day for the apostles, but it leaves me wondering about him. He simply wasn't prepared to stand up for Jesus. And it's quite sad. Who knows what might have happened in the book of Acts if Gamaliel had said, you know what, he is actually the Messiah. Because he knew the scriptures. And you know what? We never hear of him again. Can I say to you, my friends, be careful. Fence sitting hurts. Later on in life, Peter writes these words from 1 Peter 4, and I, I won't go there, but I'll just mention them. He says, if you're going to suffer, make it worthwhile. If you're going to suffer, suffer for the name of Jesus in, in effect. Don't suffer because you're a meddler or whatever, whatever, but suffer for something that's worthwhile. And I think he's writing from his experience because sometimes it actually costs us something to stand up for the, for the truth. And it may be persecution. It was in this case, it was physical. It may be mental. It's a really hard challenge for, what, for us who live in this contemporary 21st world because we see lots of things that are contrary to the word of God, contrary to what we believe as Christians, contrary to Christ's followers. And we want to stand up and say, we want to push back on some of that stuff, yeah? I'm not going to go into all the things. You can think of the things, can't you? You think of things that are absolutely contrary to the word of God. And, and sometimes we might be challenged because we're having a conversation with a bunch of people and people say, well, there are many roads to God. And you're sitting there kind of with an internal wrangling going on inside of you to say, I've got to say something. I've got to find a space to say, no, there's only one way to God. And immediately your brand does not longer, no longer be an inclusive person, very exclusive. How dare you say there's only one way to know God? Are you with me? It's tough, isn't it? And sometimes you'll be ostracised at work because of that. People won't want to see you. They'll, they'll bypass you or they'll walk around you. The apostles were prepared to pay the price. The price for them, and it's not just Peter and John, it's the apostles in plural. The price for them is to be whipped with 39 strokes with a whip. Whips are pretty fearsome things, by the way, and I won't go into all the details of what actually happened. How many of you saw that film that Mel Gibson put out years ago when Jesus was flogged? It was kind of, man, did the, it went off the charts, didn't it? And went off the, all the warnings about the physical violence, the strike. You see that every day, people, come on. You're doing it all the time, but here it is about Jesus and you get all upset. But that's actually what happened to him. That's what happened to the apostles. So, would you feel like you know, a bit of iodine might fix it up? <laughs> they run out the door and they begin to what? Clap their hands and rejoice because they've been found worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. How about that? And what do they do straight away? Go back to the text. They go preaching, Christ is alive. Good stuff. So, folks... When the story is written at Lobethal, about Lobethal and Hills Baptist at Lobethal, what's going to be written? We live in this 21st century. 
And it's a different world than their world, yes. But on the other hand, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And through it all, the word of God is timeless. And just in the days of the first of the first, that early church community, <coughs> excuse me, so today, it's about God and his passionate desire for his kingdom and for men and women to come to know his son. It is about God and what happens when a community of, of people not only follow him but are obedient to him. So I want to give you about three things to take away. The first is, these, this is a radical group of people. And the first is this, we can and we should expect signs and wonders and healings in church life. We should expect it to come through our people, all of you. In different ways, different times, different places. Don't be afraid to pray for people. <coughs> Excuse me. In all my time in ministry, even people who've never known Jesus, I've never been knocked back once when I've asked, is it okay if I pray for you? And I've seen many, many people in destitute place and hospital beds, when you offer to pray for them, are more than happy to have you pray for them. It's not just the apostles, it's all of us. It's an anointing that the Spirit of God, I believe, wants to bring to his community. He wants those conversations and those life-changing things to happen through his people. Don't be afraid, Andrew, we believe, I believe, if I was going to say a creed, I believe that the church will have signs and wonders. And I'll tell you why. Because we live in a secular world. And our secular world, since the time of the Enlightenment, and actually goes way back to Epicurean times, has basically said, there's no place for any of that. The Enlightenment said, we don't need God, we don't need any of that any longer. And we've been struggling with that ever since. He's not a God of miracles. He's not a God who can do things. It's all rationalised away. But we are saying something different, people. We are saying, yes, 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 we get science. Yes, 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 we get all the help. When we are so grateful for doctors, nurses, and all of that stuff out there, yeah? Are you happy about that? But hey... God is greater. And he does things that are off the charts that we can't explain. Expect signs and wonders, people. Don't be afraid. God has awesome power. And secondly, radical people exhibit radical obedience. And Jesus, Peter said, and they lived in it. They went to proclaim the word of life. And I want to just put that out there with us. It's just great to obey. You know, it's a very freeing place to obey God. It's not hard, is it? It's not, it's not, you know what I'm saying? You don't know what I'm saying? You do know what I'm saying? Is it good to obey? Of course. And thirdly, that, that obedience is based on being absolutely sure of our message. The church was, the apostles were, they lived in it, they preached it. The message is the same for us as it was for them, people need Jesus I need him I need him people need Jesus therefore preach him folks come up he lived among us he, he died for us he's risen for us he's coming back for us This is more than a, an obsession that the apostles had. This is, this is about, it's more than passion or fixation or preoccupation. It's, it's everything. Jesus is everything. 
And yes, all manner of things were happening because he was alive. There's care for the poor. There's healing. There's equality. But what these men and the church focused on was telling and proclaiming that he was the one who had the full message of life. That's kingdom. And that's mission. And that has the church rejoicing. And everybody said amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.